Hi, I'm Mario Evan, and you're listening to Talk Trot, a weekly inspiratement podcast discussing the things that most people are afraid to, but from a Jamaican perspective, from relationships, sex, and sexuality to the ins and outs of entrepreneurship. In this space, we speak about almost anything, with the intention to inspire, educate, entertain, and create a fair and balanced space where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Welcome to this next episode of Talk Truth, and I'm here with a wonderful guest who goes by the name of Tanil Watkins, and Tanil right now is based in the US. But she is an actress, a drama teacher, and the reigning Miss Planet Jamaica. Tanil, welcome to Talk Truth. Thank you so much, Mario. Thank you for having me. Yeah, they, they don't know that a few weeks ago you were the one interviewing me. <laughs> this is very true, very true. So now the tables have turned, but I'm very excited. The tables have turned. I'm excited to have you here too. And and just before we go into what we're going to talk about, I want to play a little game with you. Um, let's play a game of this or that. So I'm going to say a few things, and I want you to instinctively choose the one that you most align with. All right? Okay. Cats or dogs? Dogs. That's smart. Um, beach or river? Beach, definitely the beach. You like you like um, sea for, instead of cold water. Is a warm yes. and cold thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a warm and cold thing. <laughs> Oxtail or stupies? Mm. Well, I no longer eat pork, but I used to love stupies when I did. So stupies. <laughs> so stupies without the pig's tail now. And um, it's not the I, same. It's not the same. But it's not yeah. the same, right? And <laughs> let's do ice cream, Roman raisin or pistachio. Rum and raisin. All right. I, I totally agree with your choices. All right. So that was our, our quick this and that. Um, but today we're going to have a conversation about identity and cultural duality, which is something I figure you you connect with a lot. So um, <laughs> first of all, let's tell us a little bit about your childhood. Where were you born and and why do you have cultural duality? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was born in uh, Connecticut, in Hartford, Connecticut, and I live in Bloomfield now. Um, and I, I always grew up with a sense of cultural duality because, uh, my parents are from Jamaica, they're from Clarendon. And, um, as I was growing up, I mean, I, I live in a community where there are very many Jamaican Americans around me, but in particular, um, I spent, um, pretty much every summer of my childhood, um, and most of my winter holidays, Easter holidays, living in Clarendon with my grandmother. And so it really, um, taught me to see Clarendon as my second home and to have a strong connection to my roots and my culture as a Jamaican. Yeah. This is always a conversation I, I wanted to have, and I've, I've had with maybe one other person and, I mean, I'm going straight into the meat of it. Mm-hmm. How do you think it's different being connected to Jamaica through parents and, and through your experiences with Jamaica versus growing up in Jamaica? And I guess maybe you wouldn't know exactly what growing up in Jamaica is like, but you would have experienced so much of it, you know? Right. Um, I what guess are your views on it, yeah. 
from from my seeing and, and hearing about my cousin's experiences, especially while they were going to school, um, I know that, you know, school would have definitely been a different experience for me. Um, and right. some of my family members were born in the U.S. and did um, live and go to school in Jamaica for a time. So I do know that their experiences were different because of that. So I feel like, you know, yeah. um, especially because children spend so much time in school, no matter where you are, you spend a lot of time in school. It's really a, a huge part of your upbringing. Um, and so because that's really a part of your molding and shaping, I did miss that, that part. Um, you know, if I, if I wasn't going to school in Jamaica, but, um, I will say that I I definitely gained a a great appreciation for where my family comes up, especially leaving, um, you know, cold and cold and more city like Connecticut to go to a more rural area, like, you know, where we're, where we live in Clarendon was, was different for me. Right. Right, right, right. And you know what's ironic? I I think that life can be a little unfair where identity is concerned because sometimes you may even be more exposed to Jamaican culture than Jamaicans living in Jamaica, which is the weird um, catch-22 of the thing because your parents, I think, would probably have felt a duty to expose you to, to their lives. Mm. And also I find that I find that to be true, but also living in the area where I live, where there are a lot of Jamaican Americans and Caribbean Americans overall, um, and a, a country like America that's considered a melting pot of many people from different cultures, people really cling very much to their um, their home identity when they're here because, right. you know, right. everyone feels the need to, that's how they best identify and define themselves. So I feel like we almost have even more of a, a, a strong cultural connection because of that, because we're trying to keep as much of our um, our culture and our roots alive for ourselves. I absolutely agree. I mean, I I am born and raised here, but I went to Berklee College of Music for five, well, four years, I believe. And then I lived in Canarsie in Brooklyn for a year. Uh. And I found that when I was in the US, even though I was back and forth so much, I did have this intense desire to cling to my Jamaicanness because you can find how possibly easily or quickly that can dissipate if you allow it to. Right, right. I think that was always something that my family was very well aware of, very, very aware of um, growing up, especially because like now I think is a different time. And and later on in the later 2000s, especially was a different time. I feel like then it was more embraced for you to be, you know, Caribbean American. Um, But earlier on, especially in my childhood at the time, I mean, it was very rare for um you know, for me to be in school with other children who were um, making it known that they were of Jamaican parentage. We were more trying to fit in with what right. Americanness was like. And I remember even being um, in middle school when I would be leaving every summer for a couple months and being upset because my birthday was in the summer. My friends could never come to my parties. Um, I missed my middle school graduation because we went to Jamaica before it you happened. Were in Jamaica, so, right. Yes, I was in Jamaica. And so I, I felt like I missed out on a lot of the summer activities and things that my friends would do because I was always away. And um, especially because, you know, all of my friends here thought like I was going to a hotel or, you know, they thought I was going to a resort. And I'm like, right. no, I'm, I'm literally going to the country. I'm going to go, you know, be in the bush. <laughs> so yeah, it was this a, is, yeah, this is not cushy. This is not Wi-Fi. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Um, but I, I will say that's, that that's interesting. I, I definitely gained a huge appreciation for it. But I think even for a while I was, uh, when I was younger, it wasn't always the thing that I necessarily wanted to do, not because I didn't love Jamaica and love seeing my family when I would go, but just because it's like being um, torn between two experiences. I didn't get to spend the school year with my family in Jamaica, and I didn't get to spend the summer with my friends here. Yeah, I like the path you're leading me down, um, which would which would actually... I want to ask you, how would you define identity in your words? Mm. I think that identity can be so complex. I think it can be fluid. I definitely don't think it's black and white. And that's something I learned even more as I was growing up. Um, I actually, I wrote a one woman play. It's called No Boxes Allowed. And it's all about the different ways that I try to try on different identities. And so I talk about how um, I tried to try on like the black American identity and, and you know, uh, claim, right. you know, um, or, or take some claim to like what it meant to have a Southern history, like most of the black Americans who, whose family have been here for centuries um, and, and how that right. didn't really fit me and how I went on to try to maybe um, fit in with the, um, you know, Spanish Caribbean Americans because they were so, um, they were so prominent in the middle school that I went to that um, I started to learn Spanish and kind of get mixed in with their cultures. And I do have a fond appreciation for their, their music and their culture and their food. Um, but it just didn't yeah. fit me until I really stopped fighting that and started, um, owning more of, of who I am through, through where my family comes from. And so I talk about all of this in the play and it's a, it's a wonderful, like almost a memoir to my mother and our family and where we come from. Right. And also how you have um, experienced that as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And I think it's, well, it's this is a good very, mm -hmm. sorry. I was going to say it's, it's very, um, it's very funny to me to recall like these moments when I'm, I'm trying to try on these different identities and see what works for me and, and see almost what's better for me and what would make me more fit in with where I am. And, and I'm I sure am. you probably have different, different accents and different outfits and different um, things to represent each. Oh yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's a good segue to let people know that you actually studied acting. So you have a BFA in acting and you have a diploma in classical acting as well. So tell me a little bit about what drew you to acting. Yes. So, um, originally I, I had always been a creative kid. My mom always, um, enrolled me in a dance program, um, from, from when I was younger. Um, and so through dancing, I, I discovered musical theater and, and the power of theater and what it could do, um, and how good I felt to transform into a character just for a while, even because I was always so expressive. And I guess that was probably because I was at school trying on different identities. So it made me feel good to be in a place where I could be on stage and allowed to do it. Um, and from there, right. it kind of blossomed. Originally I went to, to, um, college to be a doctor. I went to be a a pediatric cardiologist that was supposed to be my my goal but you know while I was in my first year of of school I realized 
well, I am terrible at chemistry and um, it just didn't make my heart sing. And so I, I found that um, one way I was able to really feel good and feel confident about school was through the theater program at the school where I was. And that's how I started to pursue it. I just took my time, um, started taking it as an elective. And the director of the department told me that, you know, it's clear that I had a calling and I was on a path to become uh, an incredible actress. Um, and so that's what led me to where I am now. I'm glad that you honored that flow into doing what you love. But and but the next thing I would ask you is having Jamaican parents who tend to be very traditional, were they supportive of you being an actress? <laughs> and were they the ones that suggested medical school? Well, yes, my, my mother and my family always suggested medical school. They either said, you know, doctor or lawyer, because they said I was a very good uh, orator. And so right. they, they figured that I would be very convincing, <laughs> convincing right. at trying cases. Um, but eventually, I, I think I did win them over. I mean, partially because I, I withdrew from school without telling anyone. And I just came home, you know, the summer after my first year and said, Hey, I withdrew and I applied for a theater department. <laughs> um, oh, wow. So they didn't have, yeah, they didn't have much choice in this. No, they did not know. But they could have, they they could have kicked you out, though, but they didn't. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, so they were very upset at first to find out. But my family has a very strong faith. We have a very strong faith and belief in God. Um, and so, you know, I, I talked to my mother and as my, my grandmother always said something that stuck with me. And I guess this is one of those moments where her words came right back to her. But I said, you know, mama, you tell me what I feel, and feel. So, you know, if this is not it, if this is not the path, then, you know, it will, maybe it'll then disappear into it will thin air and nothing itself, will yeah. happen. But, disappear, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but if it is for me, then, you know, I'd love to follow this through and see where it can go. Where where do you see it going? Where would you want it to go? I'm a musician, so I know when people ask me that question, I tell them all sorts of things. But we, we do define our own successes. So for you, it could be anything. Where Where do you see it going? Right. Um, well, I, I originally, I would say I saw it going in a you know, I would say a very linear path. Like I never imagined I would be where I am exactly right now. At the time, mm -hmm. pageantry was not a part of this vision. At the time, my one woman play was not a part of this vision. And that ended up being one of the biggest um, blessings yet for my career, because I really penned the, the, the show just as a requirement to graduate, I, I needed to do my capstone, which is like a thesis at the end of my four years to, right. to you know, move forward and matriculate through the program. And yeah. instead, it ended up being my tool that I used um, along with pageantry and my platform to help me to meet all of these different people at professional theater companies. And so now I'm at a place where I have the opportunity to work with Tony award-winning theater companies um, as a teaching artist. And I get to teach drama through these companies. And I also get to act and, and um, 
as well and teach their programming. But for me, it doesn't just stop here. I want to go on and do more television, more film. Um, I would love to be a, a, a representation, an honest representation, not just of black women, but also Jamaican American women, because, um, honestly, um, I think that we deserve better accents on screen, <laughs> more authentic accents. Yeah, on I, screen. I think so too. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, also stories that talk about our experience, because you know, often we are a marginalized community within the Black community, and so often even our stories are forgotten. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, you mentioned pageantry and how nicely it strangely tied into acting, or maybe accidentally did. And I also noticed an intentionality in being in pageants that connect to Jamaica. You are now Miss Planet Jamaica. Tell me about Miss Planet Jamaica first, and then dial it back to the other pageants, Miss Black USA, Miss Supernatural, and how that ties into the whole cultural identity thing. Yes, absolutely. So um, fortunately, I I got the opportunity to become Miss Planet Jamaica through uh, my former pageant director for Miss Supernational Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And um, he was he selected me because the Miss Planet International director was seeking there was a transition of directorship. And so he Mm -hmm. was seeking a representative for Jamaica um, in the coming in the in the pageant that's coming later this year, um, which was to happen last Mm -hmm. year. But because of COVID did not happen. Um, But because of that, my director reached out to me because he he just knew that I would be um, one of the the perfect people who would be ready to take on the role and to um, to represent Jamaica well on the international stage. And I thank him for that, not just for giving me that opportunity, but for giving me the opportunity twice to, um, you know, to wear that sash across my chest on an international stage, because what, what could make you, you know, more proud and more, more prideful than to wear your country's name across your sash. And so um, I'm very thankful mm-hmm. for that experience. Um, Prior to that, I did compete uh, virtually for Miss Supernational Jamaica in 2018. And um, fortunately, Mm -hmm. the organization um, and directors chose me to represent Jamaica in Poland. And that was an incredible experience, especially because I had um, my mother with me. And so, you know, it was one of those moments that felt absolutely incredible to reach this far you know my mother saying that who would have thought that from you know moko clarendon we would get to this point and be in poland so exactly um so that was incredible yeah and um you know, I, I feel very fortunate to have to have been able to have the experiences in pageantry that have shaped my life thus far. Um, even with Miss Black USA before that, that was my first time winning a national mm-hmm. pageant, and um, that was incredible as well. And fortunately, during my reign as Miss Black USA, the very last appearance I did before giving up my crown was um, a mission trip in Jamaica with the Jamaica Ambassador Programs. And so I got to spend a week um, residing in uh, Mobe and um, working with children in, in um, 
in Flower Hill at the basic school there where they have a summer pr program. And I used theater and arts integration to teach students uh, reading and communication skills through theater. That must have been an enlightening experience, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. And and so incredibly rewarding and fulfilling to be able to give back in that way, um, but also to yeah. represent, um, to represent, you know, the U.S. in Jamaica in that way, because prior to my reign as Miss Black USA, um, even though the pageant had been around for 30 years at that point, there had never been another Jamaican American woman to win the crown. And so um, it was incredible just to have that connection and to be able to, to bring my reign to Jamaica, thanks to um, the organization um, and, and, and be able to do this incredible work with these students. Right. I was going to say the pageants must continue to give a connection back to home or, or maintain a connection home. You would agree? Oh, yes, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and I think especially with um, pageants uh, like these, where we have the potential to have such a great impact and influence, it's important that, um, you know, the, the greater community sees what we are able to do because, you know, that is where the inspiration, the, the opportunity for inspiration lies. It's in being able to directly influence and impact youth with our platforms. Right. And mentioning impacting youth at the platform. Tell me a bit about Learn for Life. Absolutely. So Learn for Life is my platform and it is an initiative designed to um, help me to address uh, social justice issues and really use theater and the arts and education in order to eradicate social injustices, um, especially in that I, you know, living in the United States, we have a lot of injustice, um, you know, surrounding racial issues at the moment and not at the moment, you know, it's been happening for a long time, but now is a great <laughs> yeah, time always, right? to address, <laughs> yeah. right. And, and I think now is a great time to really address that. It's been something that I've, I've dedicated my work to as an artist and educator for the past seven years. Um, and so I'm, I'm happily able to connect my, my pageant work uh, to my own platform and advocacy in order to fulfill those goals. Yeah. So Tony, where you find time to do that now? <laughs> so fortunately, it's actually my work. <laughs> um, and so I, I mean, before it was a lot to juggle because I wasn't working directly in theater um, earlier on in my career. But over time, I've actually worked to the point where I've been able to work with the theater companies that I work with and develop programming that um, allows us to have civic discussions about racial in injustice, about sexism, about violence towards women. Women. And so um, I've been able to work through them in creating the programming and, and having this, um, these kinds of conversations, teaching these lessons and engaging students um, through this curriculum virtually in schools this year. So already this year, um, I have worked with about, I'd say, 70 schools, 70 schools so far in spreading these, um, these messages. Wow. Wow. What does, what does a week in the life of Tony look like? <laughs> oh, it looks insane. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it's all over the I'm place. Sure. <laughs> um, I am. Is it scheduled? Is it strictly scheduled or not really? I, for the most part, yes. Only because I have so much going on, you know, with virtual classes, auditions, sometimes some traveling is necessary for, you know, commercial bookings and things like that. Um, so because of that, I do keep everything to a tight, you know, schedule, but it's, it's great. I won't complain because I did pray to God and ask God to be booked and busy. And so now that it's happening, I am so right. <laughs> Yeah, we want to remain booked and busy. Myself, I'm not complaining, you know. So like you, I end well, not like you, but I ended up doing medicine, as you know. Yes. And um, but I went to Berkeley and did music. So I did both degrees and I juggle in both worlds. So I, I admire you for kind of being where you are. Yeah. Right. I can only imagine how how you know crazily hectic your schedule must be. It's busy and, and because it's so busy, I tend to retract and enjoy my quiet time when I get it, you know? Yes, yes, absolutely. When was your last trip to Jamaica? My last trip to Jamaica was a couple years ago. So unfortunately, um, I actually wanted to take a trip this past year, but yeah. could not because of, because of COVID. Um, usually every year we, my grandmother goes and she goes now for anywhere from three to six months at a time. And so usually, you know, one of us in my family will, will, you know, travel with her there. We'll spend a couple weeks and then someone else will go and pick her up when the time comes. We'll spend a couple weeks and then go home with her. So that's what I was supposed to do. But she had to come back so quickly that I couldn't do that this past year. Um, so my last trip was a couple years ago and um, I really do miss it a lot. Been missing it? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so your grandmother sounds like she's now based in Connecticut or in the U.S.? Yes, yes, yes. So she she's spends- back and She's back and forth a lot, yes. So who's still in um, Clarendon? So my my well, we all we have a home in Clarendon, so it, it's always there and available, and you know, oh, open for us, ready whenever we want to come. Um, and that's why we're able to go so often, and why we did take advantage of that, yeah. which I love. Um, but uh, my my grandfather's uh, um, sisters are there, and all of my grandmother's cousins. We all live in one lane. We all live in one community. So. Um, you know, we always have family right. so all around us. There. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So everyone is there, um, and all of my cousins and you know, close relatives. Tell me some of the things about your Jamaican culture that you love the most, and it can be anything from food to music to uh, teachings, sayings, anything uh, that Jamaican culture has done to impact you that you love. And Jamaican culture has impacted me so, so, so much. Um, even from the way, the way I express myself, um, you know, my, my friends, especially those who are Jamaican born, always laugh here because they've never heard someone who was born in the U.S. be able to switch back and forth between Patois and, and you know, American English quite right, as fluently right, as right. I do. Um, but right, it's just something right. that's always been ingrained in me from when I was younger, um, you know, being able to code switch so easily. And so the way I express myself, our music, that's so impactful. And I think the older I got, the more I appreciated that. Not just that I love the music for myself, but also, you know, seeing people, no matter what background, race, culture they are, enjoy reggae and really feel the meaning you know, that comes from the music, that was incredible to me just to see the yeah. way 
you know, it had that impact. And I mean, of course the food, I, I don't think I could live anywhere where I could not get Jamaican food or be able to have the ingredients <laughs> I need to cook the food I love. <laughs> exactly. How, how are you as a cook for Jamaican um, food? So I don't cook as often as I used to. I used to cook more often. Um, when I was living in England, when I was living in England and per per pursuing my classical acting degree, I would cook very often. And that's when I would cook, um, you know, a lot for myself. I would cook a lot of, you know, a lot of curry or brown stew or things like that. Um, but, you know, now that I'm, I'm not there anymore and I'm more busy, I don't get to cook as often as I used to. But I'm not, you know, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. My family made sure, you know, I at least learn, know my way around the kitchen. As my grandmother said, Tonya Hannah make fashion, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. This is an interesting question I'm going to ask you, but you said it nicely that there is a spectrum. It's fluid in terms of cultural identity. I know from your story that you have had a lot of exposure to Jamaica. So you are a specific type of exposure your other jamaican americans that you have met in the u.s have you had any negative experiences about how they perceive jamaica how they interpret it and i know the interpretation is up to them but you know what i mean yeah because um, or, or maybe i should rephrase that i shouldn't say negative i should say what are some of the things that you've seen in other jamaican americans in terms of how they present uh yes um i would say that some well, uh, I would say that I have a lot of, I have a lot of, I've met a lot of people who, um, you know, because they don't have that experience of being able to go back and, and see where their, where their parents or family are from. Um, many of them like maybe think they know about the culture and the experience and things like that, but they don't know very much or don't know um, enough. And you can tell that they want to. And so in some ways, I guess their imitation of, of, you know, whatever culture they, they, they are familiar with is a form of flattery. And then there are others who sort of have a negative perception because um, like I said, sometimes the difficulty with identity, especially depending on where you grow up um, here, it, it can mean that you want to so badly separate yourself from your cultural identity. And I've, I've seen those who, you know, they want to deny their, their parents' culture. They want to deny, you know, that their parents have an accent or they're ashamed of where they come from. And so I've, I've seen it all from, you know, wanting to have the experience and wanting to, to see and experience Jamaica. And then those who, who want nothing to do with Jamaica because they want to fit in and be like, you know, an American norm, whatever that looks like for black people in this country. Yeah. One of the things I'm glad I got a chance to do was, um, uh, years ago when my, my mother and, and family, they were having a, a huge party to celebrate a birthday. We all went back to Jamaica for a period of time. And, you know, all of my family came from Connecticut, from Florida, New York. We have family all over the U.S. Some came from England as well. And we reunited. I, I did get a chance to bring one of my friends with me. And um, it was so it was so meaningful for her, this trip, because her grandmother was actually also from Clarendon, from the same area where my family comes from. And she had never 
never seen or experienced it. And so she had a connection that she never would have thought she had. She felt more at home than she ever thought she would, even though she was spending time, you know, in, in this part of Jamaica where she had never experienced. Right. And then she could finally really connect all of the dots for the first time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it was nice. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned what you said about, about you said people growing up, when you said here, you meant in the U.S. and they want to detach from their Jamaicanness and some want to cling on to the little that they have. And the flip side happens too, because the Jamaicans who migrate, some mm-hmm. of them have such negative experiences based on where they grew up in Jamaica and how they experience Jamaica that when they leave, they want to try and remove everything. Yes. Sadly, some of them accents so thick, not even the Jamaica can't come out of them. <laughs> but I would normally see them traveling when I'm shopping. So if I'm in like a Macy's and I'm, I hear the Jamaican accent, and then of course, initially I want to talk and uh, introduce myself or whatever. And I said, when last you go back, and they would be like, eight years, 10 years. And I picked up that a lot of these people that I met didn't want to go back. Yes. Um, so that's funny. It's almost like the opposite of identity. It's like detachment from identity. I don't know what the term right. would be. But right. Yeah. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because I do know a lot of a lot of Jamaican born um, you know, Americans who are like that as well, who who just like you said, they want to detach from it and to the point where I've known people who have lived in the country maybe even 30, 40 years and have never been back. And so their their children are what my what my mom would consider very um, are more Americanized. And so you know, I would right. always, especially because I'm learning so much about identity, but as a kid, I didn't understand it. So I'd be like, mom, why is that? Why is it this way? You know, why is it so different? And I think things like that just made my mother want to more so instill in me, you know, a pride for where I come from and appreciation and that I wouldn't always know because of um, what she was seeing, you know, in the way that other people uh, behaved or would raise their children to, to detach. Right. What would you say, Tonil, to anyone who is trying to find their identity? How, how do you think people can connect? And I'm speaking broadly because identity is way more than cultural identity. We have mm-hmm. sexual identity. We have mm-hmm. all sorts of different things that we identify with. How do you think people can be true to to their identities? I think that you owe it to yourself to explore as you, as much as you want to, you know, if that means you want to pursue your cultural identity, immerse yourself. If you want to even explore your sexual identity, immerse yourself, whatever that means for you so that you um, don't go on with any regrets about the way you form who you are. Because I think um, most important more than anything is being able to know and understand yourself. Um, And I think you can't have peace if you don't know and understand yourself. That's something I've learned over the years. Oh, wow. I felt that in my, I felt that in my heart. <laughs> I love that. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on that too for people who are listening. I would say that that exploration of identity doesn't have to be a public one. It can be a private one. Yes. And I'm just tacking that on. Cause I think sometimes people think that trying to figure out about yourself requires some kind of bellowing, bellowing from, the from the hilltops. And, and it's not necessarily the case. You just have to figure out yourself. 
Yes, absolutely. It's so true. I, I think I, I definitely went through that experience for myself as, as well. Um, you know, even, I would say even more recently, even as I got older, um, in, in really feeling, um, comfortable and at home in who I am, because I remember getting a lot of questions after I became Miss Supranational Jamaica about, you know, how I'm able to represent the country. So I, I think many people don't know the rules of pageantry, especially when you're going to represent it, Jamaica on the international stage. Mm. Um, the rule is that you must have at least one grandparent who was born in the country. Mm-hmm. And so I more than qualify being that both my parents were born in Jamaica, um, but also myself. I sought dual citizenship because it was important to me to not just, um, you know, enjoy representing the culture and the country with a sash, but also to be able to um, be a contributing member of society uh, whenever I do go back to Jamaica. Um, And so that was important. And that's why I decided to act upon that right to do so, being that it's my right as a descendant. Um, And I think that many people with their questions, it felt almost like intrusive for me because I had never been questioned so much about about my identity. (laughs) And, um, you know, I realized... Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, even some of these questions even even came from family members. I remember one of my family members asked me quite publicly on my on my Facebook page, <laughs> you know, at the announcing of my of my crowning, um, one of those questions. And um, I think it's that you know people have this idea that you know, when they come to America, even as born Jamaicans, when they come to America, that they have children. And even though their children live in their home and may go to Jamaica with them, they have this idea that they're somehow less connected from, from their culture than, than they are. Um, and, and people have this perception that it's almost like, you know, you turn your back on Jamaica. And so your child is, is just, you know, American or, or, you know, British or wherever it is that you live. Um, but it's not quite that case. And I, I think that, you know, my family has learned that, you know, through growing up and raising kids here in this country, um, that, you know, their, their children are, are many things and they're multifaceted and they, they have, um, this cultural duality that, that, that has, given them a shape or has molded them that can't be ignored. So when we explore, you know, sometimes we explore privately and that's great. Um, And it's been good to do that for myself. And it has given me peace to decide um, on my own and and get to know who I am. Um, And then, you know, when ready, you can share it. You can share it with others. Like I feel I do on an international stage when I compete at these pageants. Yeah, and we appreciate that. Um, this is even an important conversation for me as a Jamaican-born Jamaican because I think that even the Jamaican-born people are always going to feel like they have a one-up on you because they live here. You know, it's going to always be that situation. And and though it's not a competition, as I had said before, if you were to pound for pound, put some people up against each other and have a conversation about facts, about mm-hmm. the country, <laughs> there will be people who are even non-Jamaican and not even connected to Jamaica who know way more about the culture than some Jamaicans do. Yes. So so we have to be very careful of how we try to box people into whatever you want to box them into. Um, that said too, I'm sure that some of the Jamaicans who migrate have a fair sense of guilt too. 
Because even yeah. if they left for a good reason, mm-hmm. that some part of them may feel a little guilty for having to leave. Right, right. Um, I think that's definitely true among some. Um, I've also I've also um, spoken to people who have experiences where they they moved when they were very young, and so yeah. um, you know, for them, they almost feel a sense of rejection or a sense of not belonging when they return, especially if it's been a very long time, because. Yeah. Um, people have that idea, like you've turned your back on Jamaica. You don't, you can't possibly know where you come from, especially having been so young when you left. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there are, are some who who maybe say good riddance because a, a lot of people, I think, also a lot of people talk about you know the things that are happening, um, like the most recent events um, with the young women in the news yeah. who have yeah. been experiencing a lot of um, sexual and domestic violence, um, especially at the hands of their their spouses, and it's it's frightening, it's scary, um, and it it makes people fearful, and I can totally understand why, but I I'm also on the end of knowing that crime happens everywhere and these sorts of things happen everywhere in many of our communities. And so, you know, I don't use that as an excuse to write off, you know, Jamaica and say it's not safe there because this could happen anywhere. Things like this could happen anywhere. But I think it's important right now for us knowing what we know and with our ability to to educate and help others that we're able to advocate for women like that in those communities where we come from. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, Tanil, you're, you're just saying it as I see it too, and you're nailing it. Um, that I agree. And it's very scary when you're looking at it from the outside in. Um, and then when you're on the inside, it's scary too. But we still, we who are here are still living and functioning every day, doing what we have to do. But it's even scary here for us as well. Um, Tony, let's give me some final words. What would be the, the the final words you would have for our listeners about identity and cultural duality? Is there anything else you want to leave with them? Any other thoughts or gems? Um, I will say that, again, I really just think it's so important for you to explore and get to know yourself for, for you, for no other purpose than just feeling at peace and at home in your own skin. Um, I think you owe yourself that much. And, you know, whatever you are pursuing, whether that's happiness, peace, um, you know, pursue it to the best of your ability, however you can. Um, and with that, I just say thank you so much, Mario, for having me. It's been incredible to be here and have this chat with you. I love this podcast because I love how down to earth you are and how comfortable you you make it. You make your guests seem and feel. So I appreciate that. Oh wow, wow! No, thank you as well too. I mean, I. I really appreciate having this conversation, and, and the beauty of the podcast is at the end of the conversations, you always realize how much you learn, you know? So you've, you've put a lot of positive thoughts in my mind and things that, that I will meditate on um, based on your experience. So thank you for, for being here. Um, also want to wish you all the best on Miss Planet Jamaica when you compete <laughs> as Miss mm-hmm. Planet Jamaica later this year. And um, tell our guests and listeners where they can find you and how they can support you. 
Yes, absolutely. So I'll be um, heading to Cambodia in Asia. I'm very excited um, in November to compete for the title of Miss Planet International. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Tanil Watkiss. That's T-O-N-I-L-L-E Watkiss, like Watkins, but with no N. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me both places there at that name. Tanil, thank you so much for being on Talk Truth. It was absolutely my pleasure. And um, I'm sure we'll have a conversation again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, Mario. You just listened to episode number 59 of Talk Truth. And this is your boy, Mario Evan. What a wonderful conversation with Tanil Watkiss. I really enjoy talking to her about a topic that a lot of people in the diaspora go through, whether you are Jamaican through parentage, Jamaican born who migrated early, or you were born in the U.S., but you have a strong link to Jamaica. All of it can create a great sense of confusion around identity and how Jamaican you are and what you connect with because you also have another culture in in the U.S. or in some other country. So I really appreciated Tanil revealing her experience and, and being an advocate for it and showing that even without being physically present all year round in the island, you can still be connected to Jamaica, know the culture, be understanding and aware of the culture and be a contributor to the culture. So Tanil, thank you for all of the representation that you've given us and thank you for remaining connected to our culture because you also had the choice of not remaining connected and and finding another path. So we we appreciate you so much and all the best in the pageant later this year. I'm jealous. Ukiango Cambodia Ray. Guys, you know what to do. Follow us on all social media platforms. We are at TLKTRTH that's talk truth without the vowels but we have some stuff that still has vowels for now and that would be our website and email address website is talk truth dot com and our email address is talk at gmail.com don't forget to leave a comment on this episode in apple Podcasts and send it to a friend please we need subscribers hit the subscribe button listen to it in a podcast app share with someone show us some love let us know that you're listening i haven't gotten a comment in a minute so i'd love that and um, of course, you just listened to Talk Truth. We have one more episode left for this season, and that's episode 60, and that will be next week. And this is the place where your truth shall become your power and set you free. Until next time, guys. <laughs>